Ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek 5'11", 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous 5'11", 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication. Turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. Uh, we're we're back. Something about being here. I don't know. We're alive. That's me. We are. We are. Unfortunately that- for everyone, life happens. Things happen. Things yeah. happen. Right. It's um one of those things I've noticed recently about myself is that uh. And pro- people can probably see this in my Instagram history is like when I'm posting really frequently and my Instagram account is doing well, it's often because there are other aspects of my life that are falling apart completely because I'm ignoring them. <laughs> but when like I've got a lot of shit on and I'm working hard and things are going well, I tend not to have time to like do that shit in the same way. Yeah. It's a funny dichotomy that which uh, like I'm sure is different for everyone, but it exists in my life in a way that I then look at other people. I'm like, hmm. Are you actually working as hard as you think you are or are you just doing a lot of like putting shit on Instagram? Yeah, it's funny how these things just kind of wax and wane. Uh, like the before you know it, you know, you've, you're like, fuck, I haven't. Like for me, it's like I haven't, I haven't played the piano in two months and I go through phases of playing it every day uh, or I haven't, I haven't touched a video game or I haven't uh, had a walking routine for a while. It's just crazy how things like become so routine and then wax and wane as uh, other things sort of take their place. And Yeah, absolutely, man. I it's- find um, it, when my training picks up, like I, I noticed it last year when my running got serious, that's when things started to fall apart. Not fall apart, but like little things like that got pushed to the side and it's it's been the same like over the last sort of six weeks or so as my bike training picked right up was, yeah, I, I just don't have the either the mental or at like legitimate actual space to be able to – put the effort into those things in quite the same way. Mm-hmm. Are you doing any weight training at the moment? Uh, a little, I've been sort of a little bit here and there. Uh, I'd be, you know, a good week I'd maybe string two sessions together. Um, but I've been spending like six to eight hours on a, a week on the bike and uh, leaving myself very little room for anything other than like go in, get a bit of a pump and kind of come out feeling better than I did when I was walking into the door rather mm. than you know, trying to push real hard or anything like that. I'm being yeah. shouted at by my cat. Um, okay, I don't yeah. know if that'll come through on the podcast, but... It definitely yeah. is. Great. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. When you when you go in and you, and you do get a pump, do you... Do you have in, any interest, like you say you're doing your dumbbell pressing or whatever... Do you have any interest in pushing some sort of uh, challenge, whether it is rest periods or whether it is the weight itself or amount of reps? Or do you feel like when you go in, when you're doing these one to two sessions here or there, that you're just kind of going through the motion to not detrain completely? Like what what is it for you at the moment? Yeah, it's kind of a bit of both. Um, It's certainly shifted since the decision to pull out of the race, which we're obviously going to talk about in a second. But um, the... Upper body stuff, I'm still, like, working hard. Like, I enjoy working hard and, and doing that stuff, but I'm not like, oh, I need to be super strong or anything. It's, you know, pick a movement. At the moment, I'm doing more, like, sort of overhead pressy stuff because it makes my upper body feel a bit better because of all the time I'm spending kind of hunched over in a bike position. Um, 
anything with like heavy barbell stuff at the moment really jacks me up and it makes it really miserable to then go and sit on the bike so it's yeah. it, it's been like find things that i can work hard with and and feel good from that work that hard work uh lower body it's really like just enough to turn things over because i don't need sore legs like i my quads had been sore for like four weeks at one point um and so i didn't it was really like i did a little bit of pogo stuff some like single leg things just to like give my legs a little bit of what they're not quite getting what uh, pogo stuff like you know like um you know bouncing oh, like, two legs like okay, plyos, plyos and, stuff. yeah um that kind of stuff because that helped everything kind of feel a bit nicer um, but there wasn't any real serious, like lower body strength work. I, I thought about trying to push for some deadlifts for a little bit, but it just fucked my back and jacked me right up mm-hmm. in a way that made riding really unpleasant. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's been very much a, a kind of just go through the motions, keep things rolling a little bit, not really needing to push hard for progression. Cause the whole idea is the bit of my training that is hard and pushing for progression was not in the gym so mm. i don't need more of that in that respect yeah fair. and what else has been happening in, in the land of burley uh yeah not a lot we've got like uh, our final novice comp for the year in the first week in december uh so we got a bunch of people preparing for that which has been fun uh we had the spring classic a couple of weeks ago the apl comp um which was also cool uh, so a lot of our guys are kind of like in that off season phase, getting ready for building up to states and stuff like that. Um, mm. States sold out already. We've got like 44 lifters on the books for states and I think something like 10 or 15 lifters on the wait list already, including yes. a couple of my people who definitely didn't get their shit together quick enough despite <laughs> having early access and I will happily belittle them uh, about it. But the I think we may end up running a like a late APL qualifier fire mm-hmm. because there seems to be enough interest at the moment for that um which would be cool like uh, I, we haven't been in a position in the sanctioned stuff in canberra for a little while to be able to get away with not get away that's the wrong way to put it but like to have the to demand justify, for, yeah. for a second pre-nationals comp we've kind of run that like one either side of nationals uh and that's kind of worked out quite well for us over the last few years but yeah that's really exciting seeing a lot more people jumping on that um, bandwagon. I think most of them are tested entries from memory. I haven't looked very closely at it yet, um, but that's cool to see the growth of that side of things, um, and, and especially in you know in the ACT and the broader region in powerlifting. Really, is to have a good drug tested option that isn't the one that currently exists or the other two that have existed. Mm. Uh, so I think people are excited about that as well, which is really cool. Yeah, it's always interesting too. Like you don't know what you don't know in terms of. Uh, like what you're saying about the waitlist and everything. As soon as you say the spots are sold out, you don't know how many people that didn't go on the waitlist are just they just write it off. They're just like, oh, I can't do it then, and so they don't fill out their details on the waitlist. So there, there might be plenty of people that are, are willing to fill up, and you might get stragglers from say in Sydney or something or Central Coast that are like, I didn't make it because I had a bad meet or I bombed or something like that. That want to rush out and, and have another crack. We tend to get that happen to where someone randomly will show up from Sydney or from up north. Yeah, absolutely. Want to have another crack at getting in international. So yeah, cool. so I th- I think what I'm going to end up doing is um like emailing our waitlist folks and being like, hey, we're going to run this comp on this date. You guys get first access. 
you know, here's your opportunity to like jump off this wait list and sign up for that if you want. You'll get, you know, a few, like we'll probably do it a month or so later. Mm. You know, you get a few extra weeks to train for it. You can just take that spot now and we'll keep it a much smaller comp because of that, um, mm. which is good. But it's cool to have that demand for sanctioned powerlifting because it kind of, it waned, waxed it off a little bit, waxed off, waned off. <laughs> I don't know you can do both. Um, it waned a little bit over the last uh, few years. I think there was uh, a little bit of a split in terms of you know people going to different feds, um, but also I feel like there's been not a good option for people who don't want to compete in wraps and mm. or untested sure. for a long time. And and so there's maybe some people not necessarily coming out of the woodworks, but who are more excited about having like a big competitive federation that's not run by a bunch of assholes, um, alleged <laughs> assholes. Uh, it's not alleged. Who, um, uh, and yeah, I think that's really cool. I'm excited for that. It feels a little bit like it did in, you know, maybe we call it 2014. Yeah. Like, you know, that kind of- Bit more hypey. Yeah, that like, right, it's starting to feel a little bit like that, which is really fucking exciting because I, I still fucking love powerlifting. As much yeah. as I like to talk shit about powerlifting, I still keep doing this because I fucking love it. Isn't that um, weird to be on the other end of the generational divide? To be the salty old man. Yeah. Man, it fucking cracks me up. I literally found myself the other day, so my mom was like, oh, did you watch any of that meat on the weekend? I was like, bro, do you think I actually watch powerlifting recreationally anymore? Like I'm, I exist in a different aspect of this sport. I still fucking love it, but I forget what it's like sometimes to be 21 and to be fucking frothing at the mouth about yeah. how cool powerlifting is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which makes me feel like an old prick, but you know. Oh, we are. Yeah, I'm okay with it. Comes with the territory. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nice, nice. How's life up north? Yeah, man, things are things are ticking along. Uh, I Surely just, you're nearly up to like one gym opening a month at this point. I, yeah, I just headed over to the UK. I think after the last time we did one of these. Mm. Ironically, today's topic is how to run a successful podcast. Um, I went to the I went to the UK. Uh, consistency is the first step. Went to the UK, built that gym. Th that gym's just been a debacle from day one. So, uh, we had a whole bunch of council shit for ages, didn't you? Oh, we got fucked over by the previous, um, the previous building that we were, that we thought we were going into. Yeah, right. And we've just run into a whole bunch of hurdles. So I, c I can't say too much just in case I get in trouble. But, uh, I will say that this has been the hardest build of all the gyms because we had to do everything backwards. So like normally what we'd do is have three or four people come in, whack out all the flooring, unpack all the equipment and then build it in its space. And it's nice and efficient. Once yeah, you've got yeah, heaps absolutely. of hands on deck, there's a lot of work that needs to be done that's quite tedious and just needs people power. Yeah. But it ended up being that we got there and um, things had to be done in reverse. We had to build all the equipment first while we had limited people. And then we laid the flooring last, which means we had to like triple or quadruple handle everything. Yeah, that's uh, such a pain in the ass. Which would be fine if it was like boxes of pillows, but it's all <laughs> fucking heavy gym equipment. Yeah, uh, nothing says a fun day out like having to move a monolift four different times across <laughs> the floor of a gym that's like yes. littered with bits and pieces of partially assembled equipment because exactly. nothing makes moving a mono easier than a minor obstacle course on the way through. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm all like I know what to expect, but I'm always blown away by the amount of rubbish that building a gym produces. 
Like there's, oh, there's speaking a- of rubbish, fucking Stefan and his regular barbecue pop-ups in my gym are <laughs> killing our rubbish bin. It's ridiculous. Yeah, extra stinky too. Yes, as it gets hotter. Yes. So much like food waste. Yeah, Delicious nothing smells. Nothing smells better than three-day-old sun-baked brisket trimmings in yes. a plastic tub. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, absolutely perfect. Yeah, so things are ticking along. Uh, New Zealand gym is locked and loaded. Stuff is coming along the way for that. So I'm expecting that in early 2024. Um, just locked in another uh, another gym, so gym number eight, uh, as of <laughs> last week, which I haven't announced publicly yet, but I'm happy to announce on this podcast. Pete that, Speak exclusive. Whoa, that whoa. gym will be located. <coughs> uh, excuse me. Um, what else has been happening? That's about it, man. Things are really good. <laughs> <laughs> that was so smooth. Oh, I love how you've done that. That was amazing. Oh, you're welcome. Um, yeah, no, that uh, that sounds exciting. But also just I continue to be mystified about your insanity and your desire to continue opening gyms like this. I think you're a crazy person. I love it. I think it's really cool. I'm super impressed and incredibly proud of you, but I think you're a crazy person. Yeah, it's I'm, I'm right in the midst of... You know when things change and you're like, okay, I have to work out new systems. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, everything's going to fall apart at the seams. I'm right, in the midst <laughs> right on the right on the edge of like, oh fuck. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, there's a lot of confronting decisions that I'm going to have to make, it, even as soon as like before the end of the year. Uh, that's kind of looming. Part of it's actually really exciting because it's yeah, like, okay, this is it's like the next the next step, right? Like the the next level kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's like leaving a job or leaving a gym. It's like there's. There's excitement on the other side, but there's a lot of mourning for what you're leaving behind. Um, yeah, absolutely, man. A, a lot of uncertainty in the change, so it's it's exciting. But yeah, let's yeah. let's talk about what we're we're talking about today, which is um, uh, born of what's happening with your race. So tell yeah, us what's yeah. going on. So uh, today is Friday, Monday this week. I would have been it's like four weeks out, so I'm like been fucking teetering on the brink of blowing myself to pieces in terms of the amount of training I've been doing and like really having to dig quite deep mentally to like work through the sitting on a fucking indoor trainer, staring out a window, going nowhere. Uh, and had like really like probably one, two really big weeks left. I was going to do like maybe 12 hours on Sunday as my like final big ride. Uh, my bike was in the mechanics getting its final like tune up new bits, that kind of thing. Got a phone call from the mechanic Monday, He was like, man, I've got some really bad news. Uh, Your frame's got a massive crack in it. The crack's like all the way through the seat post or seat Mm. tube. Uh, And it's an aluminium frame, so you can like weld it and repair it, but it's really just like a patch job. Um, And basically it means that like the bike's unusable, right? Uh, Mm. So... I was pretty fucking devastated about that. Mostly, I love that bike. It's such a fun bike to ride, and it annoys me greatly that it's fucked. Uh, But then I rapidly ran through the process of like, okay, well, how do I replace it? I probably got to spend like 1500 maybe two grand just to get a frame that's kind of up to scratch to fit all the bits and and do what I want to do. And ultimately made the decision that I don't quite have the mental space to deal with the stress of trying to find a frame and get it fixed in time and continue training at the level I was Mm. in order to like maybe make it to race day. 
um, and potentially make it to race day on a bike that's like subpar and feels like shit and kind of ruins the experience. Mm. Um, so I made the unfortunate decision to pull out of the race like Tuesday, basically, uh, which fucking sucks. And I've definitely shed some tears about it over the last week or so and been a bit of a mopey bastard. Uh, and that's kind of what I want to talk about. Cause I think this is an experience that I've definitely had in powerlifting context before, but for some reason I've found this hurt, hurt a lot more than the powerlifting comps I've had to pull out of. And I don't know whether it was the fact that I didn't get to control it in any way um, or that it was such a surprise. I feel like sometimes, I don't know about your powerlifting uh, meets where you've had to pull out for injury or whatever, you kind of see the writing on the wall sometimes, right? Like that, you know, two or three weeks where things get a bit niggly, it starts to become a little bit evident that things aren't going the way you want and suddenly you're like, oh, maybe I can't do this, mate, and it starts to, like, weigh in the back of your head. I was on the other end of that spectrum. I was fucking ready. Like, I was excited and supremely ready to go and then to just kind of have the rug pulled out from under me at the last minute really sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I'm mostly through the morning phase of it, but I think it's it's a useful conversation to have about how we deal with these things that are ultimately hobbies, right? Like mm-hmm. I ride bikes for fun and in the context of the craziness that is the world we live in, it seems kind of stupid to be so upset about not being able to go and ride my bike in circles for 24 hours. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's important to be able to have the validation to know that, you know, it's okay to feel like you, you've you worked really hard for something that isn't there anymore and, and that kind of stuff. Man, I think, I think uh, there's layers to it, right? Like you've dealt with plenty of, of, of failure or less than idea outcomes in something like powerlifting or even your previous sporting stuff with rugby. But th- this is different in the sense that, uh, like you said, it was, it was not even out of your control because sometimes injuries are out of your control. Yeah, right? yeah, but injury, injuries are so much easier to digest. It's like, now I can't do the thing. And you can still do it, but you're, you're, the equipment that you need isn't there. It would be like your gym closes down or the competition gets cancelled three or four weeks out. It was like when COVID shut down, right? It was that like, I still have all this capacity and through no fault of my own, I can't keep doing it. And that like, you know, and I, there's literally just a point that popped into my head right then, right? Yeah. I I genuinely think it it felt a lot like that. Like, what the fuck? How do I approach this where it's like, ah, shit, I just... Like, I'm, I'm still in fucking great shape. Like, I feel really good. Yeah. I, I have a fucking massive engine at the moment. I'm kind of disappointed I don't get to, like, push the boundaries. And I know there'll always be more. And, like, that's, you know, these are the sort of the tropes that I, I know I've said to people. Like, there's always more comps, like, you know, mm. all that kind of stuff. And it's like, yeah, I said all that shit to myself and it doesn't fucking help. <laughs> you know, like, and that I think that's the difference in experience is like i i know all of that logically right Mm. but i also know that if i don't sit in that misery for a little bit it just won't actually ever go away Mm -hmm. like i'll just be sad about it for a long time Mm -hmm. and so i let myself wallow i got a bit depressed about it and you know felt all of those feelings in a way that i think in the past i've been very quick to be like right what's next 
mm-hmm. you know, and just kind of like bottle it up a bit and, and move forward, mm-hmm. which I know a lot of powerlifters are guilty of in many ways. Um, yeah. And so I think that it's important to recognize that you, you probably, especially if it's something that you've been working a long time for, which I like I have, I've been training for this fucking thing all year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's okay to feel like, fuck, that really sucks. Like, it, mm. it does really suck, and there's it, there's nothing that's going to make that any better because it does kind of feel like you wasted all that time, right? Mm. Like, I've averaged something like eight to ten hours a week at some point mm. uh, in in my shed staring out a window going fucking nowhere at 6 a.m. in the morning, and it's so infuriating to know that, like, or to feel like all of that was kind of for nothing. Yeah, 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 for sure. And all the money that you've spent on your doping protocols, all the time. Man, EPO is not cheap. (laughs) And do you know how hard it is to convince your girlfriend of 15 years to sleep next to you in an altitude tent? Exactly. Yeah, it's ridiculous. No, no, I I completely hear you. I'd I'd add an asterisk because what you just said before around – knowing all of that stuff logically there's there's more time you can do it again there's more comps not helping you're right it doesn't help in the moment and as a coach i'm always careful to layer that in i'm I'm like look there's more opportunities there's more comps you're going to get past this injury none of that makes it feel good now but none of that will help right now however after this is all blown over after time heals it you'll be searching for stuff to fill that void in your head and if you have that knowledge there ready to catch you and cradle you you'll feel so much better for it because that's where people get really depressed with this stuff yeah they have to pull out and they can't see the bigger picture you've got that on your side yeah it, it, like you say it doesn't hurt help in the moment and honestly like you say as well you want to sit in it you don't want to try and brush it and sweep it away because no. that'll just put a bee in your bonnet and the worst thing about that when people do that because some people are like no nah, i'm all right i bombed but it's fine it's fine it doesn't matter i'll just get back to the training and they don't actually deal with it, then as they start to get closer and closer to comp, in their head, I'm going to bomb, I'm going to bomb, I'm going to bomb. On the day, I'm going to bomb, I'm going to bomb. And same thing. You'll start getting, you'll be hyper paranoid. You'll be checking your bike every fucking day. You'll be taking it into the shop way more often than you need to because you'll be paranoid about it fucking blowing up, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's, I think that, um, that like, knowledge and understanding that, like, you know, I I haven't wasted this, right? And... uh, Fortunately, I have a brain and I suspect your brain works similarly in many ways that about three weeks ago, right as like things really picked up in intensity and I was really struggling and like had to up my food a bit and like be way more conscious of sleeping more and shit like that. The part of my brain that hates suffering was like, all right, what are we doing next? Because I'm fucking sick of this. Mm. <laughs> and, and you know, I've done this long enough in various forms to know that when I'm sick of it, that's like, that means I'm almost ready, right? Like, I'm, mm. I'm sick of this. Everything hurts. I'm tired. I'm angry. Cool. We're like a few weeks out from feeling fucking amazing, right? And we've talked about this before in various different forms in the powerlifting context. And it was at that point that my head started being like, all right, well, what are we doing next? And mm. the logical progression in my head is because I've gone bike, run, bike in terms of years over the last three years that I go back to running. And so I'd already picked out a running goal. There's like a half of the centenary trail basically, which is a big bike loop I did a few years ago. I can do the Northern loop. It works out to like 50, 55 Ks and I can do it from my house back to my house. And so I'm going to run that next year at some point. Mm. And so I'd kind of already made the decision that like, that's where I'm going next. And that's the next big thing on the agenda and started, you know, just having that like slow boil in my head, 
because I know now and enough about myself as a person to know that if I don't have something like that that isn't work-related and family and stuff, it's just for me, everything else kind of falls apart a bit, mm. right? So I automatically start thinking about these things, right? And I kind of have this like, I, I know what I want to do in the next five years roughly, and so I've always got this kind of list of things I can jump to next, right? To to be able to pivot and be like, yeah, cool. Well, let's go and do this, right? And that that process I've had, I think I've had for a long time. The difference now is I let myself process that emotions, right? I didn't just go, well, fuck it, let's go. I had a few days to be a miserable mopey prick about it. And came out the other side feeling good about it, right? Like, I'm now excited. I went running yesterday. My legs are fucking cooked today. Um, but that felt really good. Like, a, you know, I've, I've clearly got a big engine. It's just going to be about getting my legs back to running and we'll be sweet. But I think that's a, a skill and a tool that I've only got because I've been through this experience a bunch. And actually, if anything, I probably care a little bit less about it now than I did in the past, which really helps. Like when I was a powerlifter, I know you and I both went through this phase. Like I was a powerlifter. Right? Like that was, you know, line one of my biography, John Sheridan, powerlifter. And that definitely plays a role in how something like this affects your experience. For sure. Because if it's your whole identity then suddenly it's taken away and you you don't have a replacement, right? You don't have these other things that still make you feel good and have these avenues outside of that. And so that pivot and move through that process becomes way harder to manage. For sure. Yeah. I, the identity is, I find it interesting with working with um, the more elite lifters because there's this catch 22 where if you want to be the most elite of the elite, you have to have that identity. Yeah, absolutely. You literally have to live and breathe it. And so when that's eventually stripped away from you or you decide to step away from it, filling that identity void is where people, I mean, you see it in professional sports all the time, yeah, right? Constantly. Someone yeah. exits a sport or gets injured and forced out of a sport. They're like, they become whatever, homeless sometimes or like yeah, yeah, really down a bad path. Yeah. It's like, what do I do? I was this who, thing. Who am I? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, and I went through that. I'm like, I'm by no means professional in any way, shape or form at any of the sports I've ever done. No, uh, but you, we get to choose what label we attach to ourselves and what we yeah, identify exactly. as. Exactly. And that's where I think uh, I had this discussion recently with someone and it's kind of it's it's one I've had a, a bunch over the last couple of years uh, about like training as a priority in life, right? I, I like you, grew up on like Elite FTS, right? That was the first like mm. website I spent a lot of time on. And Dave Tate's thing was always he wants to – his uh, target market is like people who have training in their top three priorities in life, right, or top five or something like that. And that was kind of like uh, – that's been part of my ethos for a very long time. But – in my powerlifting years, and I, and I only know this because I've spent a lot of time thinking about it over the last five or six years especially, in those years, training was number one because I wanted to be really good at it and I fucking loved it. And obviously then I made decisions about how my life works and like structuring things in a way that allowed me to do what I wanted to do. I th thought I went through a phase where training reduced in its priority, like it went down the ladder, right? And I've actually come back full circle to now at 35. Training is probably my number one. It's probably realistic my number two, right? Because I've got a family, mm. number two. But 
it's real close because I recognize now I still want to be really good at things. I still want to do hard things. I still want to make progress. All of that stuff that was the fundamental underpinnings of my powerlifting journey. But now it's that desire to have it at the top of my priority list is not built on that. It's built on the knowledge and understanding that if it's not at the top of my priority list, everything else on that list suffers exponentially. I was going to say, it would be naive to not say that the two are so closely interlinked because you as a family man is determined by who you are and yeah. that second priority is a big part of who you are. Absolutely. And, and also recognizing, and this obviously went hand in hand with being diagnosed with ADHD and things like that as well, but recognizing that like I need this exercise, right? It's it's not like I want to do it all the time. I fucking hate some of it. <laughs> like there have been times, especially over the last month, where I've had to like, you know, if, if you ever sat in your car before you go into the gym, before like a really heavy squat session, you have to like put a big song on and like pump yourself up a little bit for a session. I had to do that standing in my fucking shed, putting my bike shoes on to sit on a bike going nowhere, right? Like 90 minutes of like hard intervals, took some fucking mental effort to get to that point. And so there've been lots of times where I don't want to do it, but I know I should do it. And the times where I do do it, I feel way better. And over the last three or four years, especially, everything else in my life has, has become easier because I've been way more consistent with making my training a priority. And recognizing that sometimes that means going to the gym, rolling about on the floor for a bit, getting a little bit of an upper body pump and leaving. And other times that's 90 minutes riding hard in a shed or fucking running or whatever it is, right? Because all of the other aspects of my life then are just way simpler. I'm a calmer, more relaxed person who can function in a way better level. So if I'm not at that point, well, then I'm fucked. And... Now the conversation I have with people, especially people who come to me who aren't interested in being super competitive or anything like that, like I want to be fitter, stronger, healthier, this is the discussion I have with them. Like mm. this is a, a priority that I have, I have now put in place because I know I have to, but I only know I have to because I've kind of known that subconsciously for a long time. And when I did let it slip, there was some evidence that suggested I'd let it slip and mm being able to put it there at the top of the list and know that it's not a selfish thing to be able to make that time for you. Because if I don't, I'm a worse parent, I'm a worse father, uh, partner, I'm a worse coach, like all of these things. Not all, like all of that aside, I also have less fun. Like mm. I am a less pleasant being to live in, if that makes sense. Um, and so that shift has also been really interesting in, in unpacking how I assign value to it mm -hmm. right like it was always it was my journey for me whereas now it's my journey because actually all these other people need me at my best mm. yeah I've, I've actually been thinking a lot about very much the same thing in slightly different context but it just goes to show that it you know can be applied in so many different ways around this whole idea of of prioritization yeah, because I, I i think that a lot of people believe that you have to give a lot of thought and um energy and effort into working out what your priorities need to be rather than just understanding that priority priorities kind of self-organize uh, they kind of slot in as per what is most important to you 
So if you let your priorities self-organize, it gives you a really clear picture of what matters to you and what doesn't. Yeah. And sometimes the things that you feel like don't matter, you need to bring up on that list a little bit. But most of the time, it, it's not like that. And I think this is where people go awry with things like identity and sport, but also with this whole idea of like work-life balance. Yeah. Fucking hate that term so much because work-life balance assumes that there's a correct answer to that rather than just um, uh, rather than just being applicable as per whoever you are. Uh, because people would question my work-life balance because I work a lot. I do yeah. work a lot. I choose to work a lot, and yeah. sometimes I choose to not work. And uh, yeah, I, I'm going to finish recording this podcast and go straight to the pub. Yeah. It's Friday afternoon, and I don't want to work this afternoon. But exactly. That, like you, I have now recognized that, like, work is is part of who I am. Mm. And I'd actually be a miserable, mopey prick if I didn't have something like that to do. And so there are times where, yeah, I just don't want to do it or I'm not going to do it. But I also really like the way my life works because of that. For sure. And I, in much the same way, I'm a much worse person to hang around if I've got work on my yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm yeah. much better to just get it all out and then the, be the best version of myself because I'm satisfied with where I'm at uh, when I'm spending time with my family or when I'm spending time with my friends or my partner, or my dogs, whoever. Uh, and that requires me to work quite a lot. But that's, yeah. I mean, for me, it's not a lot of work. It's a lot yeah. relative to what people project as the correct amount of work. Yeah, exactly, man. That And it's that thing that, this idea that there is a, a one answer to everything, right? Mm. And, you know, this becomes a now very metaphorical discussion <laughs> about life. But the idea that, like, it happens in training, right? This is the best training program. This mm. is the best work-life balance. Mm. This is the best amount of sleep. Like, if you looked at my sleep versus someone else, you'd be like, oh, that cunt does not sleep enough. But <laughs> I know that, like, if I don't sleep, if I sleep more than six hours a night most nights, I feel like shit. Like, my body just is awake at 5.30 mm. and I just get out of bed and that's what happens, right? And there are some days, now my dog's barking sick, uh, there are some days where I wake up at 3 and I'm just awake. And it's like, cool, well, I'm just going to get up and work and get a bunch of shit done. And I look, my girlfriend occasionally looks at me, he's like, what the fuck are you doing? It's like, well, I was awake and it would actually be worse if I did it the other way around, right? Like, because I've had that experience of go back to sleep wake up a bit stressed and a bit all over the place. And you're like, fuck, I should have just got up and done it, right? Yeah. Or sit in bed trying to sleep for three hours thinking about the work that you could have been doing. Yeah. Or yeah, doing man. it when you think about it and then having three hours to spend doing other stuff later on. Yeah. And, and there's been now I've got, you know, and I'm sure you do as well, like strategies in my life for how I compartmentalize that aspect so that I'm not constantly sitting around thinking about it. Like mm. there are times where I'll sit in the car before I walk into the house on my way home and write a list of things that I need to do or just get all those thoughts out of my head. So I have then the space to be able to go into that other aspect of who I am. Right. Mm. And that's where I think actually the work-life balance thing comes into play. Right. It's not, I am just burly strength and that is my identity. It's like, that's a huge part of me. And so is John, the father and partner. And so is John, the incredibly mediocre endurance athlete and various other aspects of me that you got to be able to kind of work between, right? It's, it's not that you have to, everything has to be even. It's that you have to be able to choose how you can piece together all of those bits so that you get a life you want to live. Exactly. Do you like how we turned that into like a fully philosophical life coaching lesson? Yeah, that's just representative of our life journeys at the moment. 
Yeah. Before you know it, Thomas and I will both be selling life coaching retreats. Oh, dude, we should totally do a fucking retreat. That would be fucking hilarious. Yeah, charge heaps. That's what they do. So much money. It would be great. They charge heaps and then they just bring in in external practitioners for like a two-hour session. It's like, that's it for the day. They don't even work. So it's the dream. It's... um. It's definitely on my list of ways to brought money out of more people because, you know, that's all the fitness industry really is. Absolutely. All right. We'll catch you next time and we'll probably talk about powerlifting that time. Maybe. Maybe not. Goodbye. Bye.